calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to Episode 5 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 12, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 8th. Kazyanenko relieved me sharply at 1745, and I took her up to meet the captain. They hit it off well. He was already relaxing a little, and his jovial manner matched well with Kaz's irreverent streak. I excused myself and grabbed my kit from my stateroom. By 1800, I was heading down the passage on the 07 deck where a station crew had quarters. Whatever other issues we had, and for all that my leave-takings were often cold, I have to admit that my homecomings were always warm. I walked into the apartment to find the small kitchen table set for candlelight dinner for two. Something smelled wonderful, but nothing was served. It looked like a prepared stage, but the actors had not yet arrived. I walked through into the bedroom. She was there, and my heart caught in my throat. She has a way of looking at me that stops me, just stops me. It's not a pose or a particular facial expression. It's more like what command presence is when it's done right, only it was more like command presence in reverse and in spades. It was more than I love you and greater than I want you, and I have no idea how she did it or where it came from, and whenever she used that particular look, I stopped thinking. My welcome was brutally satisfying, totally exhausting, and short. Less than half a stand later, we lay tumbled together in what had been a reasonably well-made bed, but had degenerated into a pile of linens draped in a loose array I could relate to, the operative words being loose and draped. She lay across my chest, not quite purring, her flesh pink and warm from the exertion, stuck to me as she made small shifts in her weight. Oh, hi, hun. Welcome home. Her voice had a husky quality to it that had gotten more pronounced as we got older, or maybe it was my ears. Thanks. Miss me? Oh, a bit. She sat up, totally unconscious of her nakedness, and sat cross-legged beside me. So, you found a ship? Yeah, it was pretty grim in places, and exhausting. Well, you seem pretty well rested. She patted my thigh playfully. I had a chance to sleep on the way back. Dinner's keeping warm. Are you hungry? Yes, it's been a long time since lunch and a busy day at that. When do you head back? Eh, we need to talk about that. Let's get some dinner and I'll tell you about the Tinker's new captain. She started crawling for the edge of the bed and I took my time watching her crawl. Seven staniers and she could still make me forget to swallow. 
You'll need to pull those eyeballs back and find some pants if you're going to eat, she said with a giggle as she stood up and pulled on a cotton shift. It fell only to the top of her thigh, and I wasn't sure if it was a nightie or a dress or just a T-shirt. I didn't really care at the moment. She went to the kitchen, and I pulled on a pair of jeans, threw on a T-shirt, and followed. By the time I got there, she had dinner out of the oven and onto plates. It was a meaty stew with lots of root vegetables and a broth so thick a spoon would stand in it. She was a pretty fair hand in the kitchen, and this simple meal with a crusty loaf and a glass of wine was probably one of my favorite meals of all time. The afterglow didn't hurt, either. She looked good, tousled. We were about halfway through the dinner demolition before either of us spoke. New captain on the tinker? What's happened to Freddy? She retired. Well, that was sudden. Apparently she's been thinking about it for a long time. She just decided it was time. The company moved another skipper over to take her slot. Who'd they move? Delman off the Agamemnon. Oh, wow. That must have come as a surprise. Well, he was due for rotation, and none of the skippers who were senior to him wanted to move. Who will they get to take the Agamemnon? That's what we need to talk about. I was really dreading this conversation. What? You're not being transferred to that tub, are you? Her knowledge of the ships and crews never ceased to amaze me, but then she worked in one of the bars that catered to the clientele. She probably knew more about the Agamemnon than Philip Delman did. Not if I don't want to. They offered the ship to me. I have first refusal. She looked confused. How can they do that? You're not a captain. I didn't answer right away. Ishmael, you're not a captain, are you? I nodded, staring at my food. You're a captain? She sounded incredulous. I looked up at her, trying to decide what kind of mood she was in. Yes, I'm a captain. When did that happen? She was still staring at me in amazement. I couldn't tell if it was happy amazement or despairing amazement. Well, I got the news this morning after we docked, but I sat for the exam while we were tied up in break hall dealing with the TIC people. TIC? You were working with the TIC? Well, yeah. The crew on the ship we found. They were all dead. It was really a mess. We lost a couple of days heading into break hall and another five or six there. That's why we're over a week late getting back. Well, the company sent a message around to dependents to let us know you were going to be late because of the incident, but I didn't realize it was so serious. Well, it was one for the books. I don't think I'll ever see anything like that again. She paused before asking for confirmation one more time. But your captain? I nodded. I sat for it in Brickle, and by the time I got back, the license was waiting for me at the dock. I talked to Maloney this morning before the change of command, and he offered me the Agamemnon if I wanted it. What'd he give you? Standard plus bonus? She really did shock me sometime. Yeah, 15. She nodded appreciatively. And what color have you decided? I must have been gawking. I wasn't speaking that much, I'm sure. Don't look so surprised. That's been Maloney's closer for, sheesh, at least three or four staniers now. Well, I don't get out much, she giggled. True, and you don't have to listen to them argue about this or that shade of blue or green. God, you'd think they were trying to match their gowns at a wedding or something. I laughed at the image, and at the response that I was so clearly not expecting to get. So do you think I should take it? Ishmael, my dear stupid husband, whether I think you should or not is not really the issue. You're going to take it. You've been working for this as long as I've known you. She paused to chase a bit of stew around her bowl with a crust of bread. I'd much rather see you take it and be captain than to see you continue to be first mate anywhere. 
you're still going to be gone, but at least you'll get paid better, and you'll be doing something that's actually worthy of your skills and talents. I considered asking where she'd put my wife, but I decided that Flip and Glib were two places I should avoid in the short term. I'm surprised you feel this way. She popped the last of the bread in her mouth and washed it down with a swallow of wine. Don't be. I had a lot of time to think while you were out there. It won't be long, and I'm going to be forty. That's a milestone for a woman, in case you haven't gathered. And I've decided that I'm in charge of my happiness. I intend to pursue it. What will you do? She shrugged. I don't really know. I've been getting used to the idea over the last week or two and thinking how silly it was for me to be upset by your going away. I'm a big girl. I can deal with it. She got a sly smile on her face. And when you're here, my dear, you are very much here. She waggled her eyebrows at me. She caught me unaware and I barked a laugh. I've been talking to some of the other girls at work. They have husbands around all the time. And you know what? Half of them wish they'd ship out. Seems like there might be a lesson there. Well, I've got to say, you've caught me completely by surprise. I never expected this. She shrugged a shoulder, and the cotton fabric slipped across her skin. I wasn't really thinking it through. I'm sorry for being such a pain. It's all right. I was shocked. My brain was not engaged, and my mouth was definitely moving. It was not all right, but I was reminded again just how much I loved her. I could forgive her for this if it meant we could move on. Besides, I'm going to be a captain's wife. She had a mischievous grin on her face. I can visit you aboard when you're in port. She waggled her eyebrows again. I never did it in a spaceship before. I laughed outright. You know what? Neither have I. It was her turn to look surprised. Never? I shook my head. Never. There was never an opportunity while I was single and never a temptation after. Ah, you're so sweet. She started clearing away the dishes. Never? I shook my head. Never. I got up and helped her clear away. When we were done, I gathered her in my arms and leaned back against the counter, holding her and rocking. So when do you have to go back? I need to tell Maloney in the morning, around 0800. He'll probably want me to take command immediately. She nodded against my chest. You know when you'll be getting underway? No, but he needs to paint the cabin. I don't know what their sailing schedule is yet. It won't take him long. I bet he has it painted by noon. What color will you tell him? I was thinking green, pale green, something with a little yellow in it. She laughed. Ishmael Huang, color expert. Why? What color should I paint it? Her answer was instantaneous. Yellow. Yellow? Why yellow? Well, not bright yellow, you lug. Something pale and pastel, light enough to make the walls push out a little bit and with just a hint of color to remind you that the deep dark isn't the only thing out there. Pastel yellow? Isn't that a little, and I hesitate to use the term, girly? She pulled her head back so she could look up at me. Dear, you were the one who was just telling me pale green with a touch of yellow. You forfeited your right to claim that yellow is girly. I chuckled. Yellow. She shrugged. Your call, but if it's ugly, I won't visit you. She grinned and grabbed my hand. Now, Shut up and come with me. I have a little chore for you. She led me back to the bedroom, where she nonchalantly pulled all the loose covers off the bed and threw them onto the floor, stripped the T-shirt off, and added that to the pile. She crawled onto the mattress and looked over her shoulder to give me that look. Are you going to just stand there, or are you going to come give me a hand? Chapter 13 
Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 9th. Jan needed to sleep in to get ready for her afternoon and evening shift at the Miller Moth. I woke at 05.30 and couldn't get back to sleep. I smiled to myself and slipped out of bed and into the shower to sluice off some of the evidence of the previous evening's festivities. I had a feeling the silly grin wouldn't wash off, and I didn't try. It was a matter of a few ticks to do the needful. When I padded back to the bedroom, Jen made a sleepy kind of mumble of inquiry. It's 5.30. I'm going to get breakfast before heading over to the ship. Sleep. Okay. She said that quite clearly, and was snoring delicately by the time I'd put on my khakis. One of my favorite places to eat on the orbital was a diner on the O2 deck called Over Easy. You could get breakfast any time of day. The eggs were fresh, the coffee rich, and the bacon was done just right. It would be unfair to use the phrase greasy spoon to describe the place because it was nothing if not immaculate, but it had a slightly worn, not quite perfect appearance to it, like your favorite pair of jeans, the ones that had a hole in the pocket and a bleach stain down the left leg. They didn't really look great, but they just fit. That was over easy, and I ate there at least once every time I was on the orbital. I slipped through the door just after 0600. The place was jumping. For a breakfast joint, this was peak time, and Overeasy had a large, dedicated local following of cargo agents, tug jockeys, cargo loaders, and office workers. I spied an open stool at the counter and slipped into it with a nod to the kid behind the counter. His tag said Robert, and the coffee pot in his hand looked good. I nodded once, and he poured it. You know what you want? He had a friendly grin and a slash of freckles across his face. He always had men behind the counter here. It was one of the few places in the orbital where women were never on the service staff. I'd never asked about it, but it struck me anew every time I came in. Three eggs over easy, wheat toast, four rashers, and a pile of Frankie's Finest. He nodded, scribbled something on a pad, and clipped it to the metal ring hanging in the pass-through to the kitchen. When he was done, he turned back to me, topped off the one sip I'd gotten from the mug, and moved on down the line, topping up, clearing off, and wiping down as he went. From my angle at the end, I couldn't see into the kitchen, but I could hear the cook rattling about back there and the hiss and sizzle of a hot metal grill. The sound had a magic all its own and added an understory to the morning hubbub behind me. I sipped the coffee and scanned the crowd. The waiters were all circulating fluidly, and the women in the crowd, mostly sitting in booths and at tables, were enjoying the views as the waiters moved among them. For the first time in all the stanniers I'd been there, I noticed that there were a lot of women. Maybe there was method in the madness after all. A plate landed on the counter in front of me at the same time I heard the familiar, Thanks, Frank, from Robert. I turned to admire the masterpiece. For me, a day that starts, or finishes for that matter, with a pile of bacon and eggs is a good one. It's a taste from my childhood and one I never tire of. I'd had many bad plates and more good ones, but Frank's were something special. I don't know if it was something he did to the eggs, the pepper he put on the bacon, or what, but I never found another place that served up bacon and eggs that reminded me of home so strongly. The potatoes were something I'd discovered only after a dozen trips to the counter. The guy next to me on that occasion got a plate that had a mound of slightly toasted, heavily spiced, and onion-laced potatoes instead of the normal hash browns or home fries. Looking at them made me drool. He told me they were called Frank's Finest, and you had to order them special or you only got potatoes. I'd been ordering them ever since and only wished I knew the recipe. But I suspected that even knowing it wouldn't have helped much. Without the hot grill, a mixture of drippings, and Frank's touch with a spatula, the formula would be forever incomplete. I savored the meal, giving each scrumptious morsel the attention it deserved and lingering over my coffee. 
for about four ticks. And then I was down to bare plate, empty mug, and the faint sense that I wanted to go around one more time. I signaled Robert, and he brought me the tab. I headed up to the tinker. When I walked through the lock, Pincus was on the brow and looked at me in surprise. Mr. Huang, I didn't expect to see you on your day off. Good morning, Mr. Pincus. I just needed to pick up a few things. He eyed the chrono over the lock. Yes, sir, and congratulations, sir. We'll miss you. Miss me, Mr. Pincus. Yes, sir. You're going to take the Agamemnon, aren't you, sir? I haven't actually accepted that post yet, Mr. Pincus. Oh, I know, sir, but you will, and we'll miss you. Thank you, Mr. Pincus. I'm glad I can be such an island of certainty in this universe of chaos. We do appreciate it, sir. Is Miss Bear in the office? Actually, I believe she's on the bridge, sir. Astrogation updates. Thank you, Mr. Pincus. I headed into the ship as he said, You're welcome, sir. And, sir? I stopped and turned back to him. Yes, Mr. Pincus. Could you hold off until 0730 to tell the skipper? 0730, Mr. Pincus. Yes, sir. I've got 0730 in the pool. There's a hundred credits riding on it. I'll see what I can do, Mr. Pincus. Thank you, sir. You're an officer and a gentleman, sir. I glanced down at my uniform. Yes, well, carry on, Mr. Pincus. I found Vonda on the bridge, as Pincus had said. She smiled at me and then looked at the chrono. You're up early. Yeah, I had a few things on my mind. She snorted. I dare say. Congrats on Captain Ishmael. It's been a pleasure serving with you. You sound like you think I'm leaving. She looks startled, aren't you? I thought you were taking the Agamemnon. What makes you think that? Well, it's all over the ship. You even packed your stateroom. Who said that? Oh, well, she looked a little sheepish. I looked in last night. Firewatch? No, I was measuring it for drapes. Drapes? Oh, sorry, private joke. I was looking to see how much different it was than mine, getting a feel for it before, uh... Before you moved in. She shrugged. Yeah, well... And your assessment? It's not as big as I thought it would be. You sound surprised. Surely you've seen the inside of my stateroom before. Well, yeah, of course, but never looking at it like I'm going to live in it, and your stuff has always been there. Good point. I changed the subject. So have you met the new captain? Oh, yeah. He was on the mess deck at breakfast. We had a good gab. He's not quite what I expected. Yeah, me either. I paused before continuing. You think I should take it? The Agamemnon? Why wouldn't you? Well, because it's the Agamemnon. Ishmael, if it were any other ship, any other tractor for that matter, would you be asking this? I shook my head. No. Then why are you asking it about the Agamemnon? Because of its reputation on the docks? Yeah, I guess. You fixed up the billy, took her from the stinker to the sweet William, and you were barely out of the academy. You're going to have trouble with three punks in the first bitch? I don't think so. Would you take it? Man, I'd already have taken it. I'd be over there right now, rousing them out, kicking butt, and calling the cat rude names. They have a cat? She looked at me with a certain degree of exasperation before she realized I was kidding her. I asked her the question I needed answered. Are you going to be able to work with him? She knew who I meant. Yeah, I think so. He's not Freddy, and I'm kind of spoiled. And he's got a good sense of humor. He's been around the dock enough times to know where the lock handles are. I held out my hand. Safe voyage, Fonda. It's been an honor. She smiled at me and took the hand. Safe voyage, Captain. Well, not Captain yet, but thanks. I headed down over the ladder, but not before I saw her check the chrono again. What time did you have, Vonda? 
What time? Yeah, what time? Oh, 0600. I know you're an early riser. Sorry about that. She shrugged. Pink has got the prime slot. That's the time I'd have picked. I glanced at the chrono. Who has 7.15? She smirked. Captain Delman. I laughed all the way to the mess deck. I didn't really need a cup of coffee, but it was good to see the crew, such as it was on an early morning after the first night in port. I lingered over the mug before slotting it into the rack for cleaning. At precisely 07.30, I knocked on the captain's door. From inside, I heard a baritone voice say, Damn. Chapter 14, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 9th. When I finished with Captain Delman, I flashed a formal acceptance message to DST's main office on the orbital. I keyed my stateroom door one last time, made a final sweep through to make sure I hadn't left anything embarrassing under the bunk or in the head. Satisfied that I grabbed it all, I locked the grav trunk and fired up the lifters. It moved easily, but it massed a lot. I'd learned over the stanyards to tug gently, move carefully, and keep my toes out from under it in case I needed to cut the grav to keep from squashing myself for an innocent bystander. With some level of aplomb, I managed to back it out of the stateroom and into the passageway without adding any noticeable additional defects to the paint job on the doorframe. Vonda would probably paint it anyway. It wasn't even 0800 and nobody was about, and that was just as well. When I got to the brow, the captain was waiting there with Vonda and Pincus. There was a small but meaningful administrative detail that the captain and Vonda took care of by officially checking me off the ship, clearing my key codes, and giving me two data cubes. One held the ship's copy of my official record. The other held a copy of my personal data space on the ship's system. I would not be purged, of course, because that would remove all my watch-standing records and associated reports. My record would be marked as inactive on the ship and frozen in its final state. There wasn't much more to say but safe voyage, and everybody said it. I turned to roll the grav trunk out the lock, and I heard the captain say, Oh, 0730, on the nose. Congrats, Pincus. Then the lock closed behind me, and I set off down the docks, heading for dock 28 and Agamemnon. I got about halfway there, and my tablet relayed a message direct from Jeff Maloney, asking me to meet him there at the ship at 0830. I had a little time to kill, so I changed course and headed for the lift. I had time to do a little shopping before reporting to my nightmare. While I was waiting for the lift to arrive, I dropped the grav trunk to the deck and popped the top for a tick. I'd stashed Freddy's stars just inside the lid. I swapped out my mate's flashes for the well-used gold stars of Captain. With Maloney's reply, it was official. I was a clipper ship captain. I secured the trunk and lifted it on its field once more just as the lift arrived and the double doors opened. Several crew were aboard, and I stood aside while they all trooped off. Smiling to myself, I strode confidently in my most captainly manner into the lift and was promptly smushed against the car's back wall by the free-floating mass of my grav trunk floating behind. Luckily, nothing serious was injured. My pride and vanity, apparently needing a bit of adjustment, did not fall into the category of serious things, and I maneuvered out from behind the trunk before dropping it to the deck and punching up the O1 level. It took a little longer than I expected, but I completed my tasks without further injury to myself or my esteem and reported to the lock at precisely 0825. I stood directly in the path of the video pickup on the lock, but nobody bothered to open up to find out what I wanted. To be fair, I didn't ring the call bell either. 
A tick before 08.30, Jeff Maloney with Kurt in tow came up the docks. They both smiled at me, and Kurt pressed the call button. We waited for the lock to open. When nothing happened after a good solid tick had gone by, Kurt rang the call button again. We waited some more. I turned to Mr. Maloney. I wonder if anyone is at home. He looked a bit peeved. They are expecting us, or should be. I sent a message to the acting captain that we were on our way. And who is the acting captain? Chief Engineer, Greta Gerhardt. Did you send it to her or to the ship? Well, the ship, of course. I considered for a moment. She hasn't received the message yet. He glowered. Either that or she's just ignoring it. I shook my head. Now, if you send it to the ship, it'll wait in the communications queue until the comms officer grabs it and routes it. The larger question is, why hasn't the brow watch answered the call button? Probably because the worthless git has fallen asleep on watch again and hasn't heard it ringing. The voice came from behind us, and it echoed off down the docks. Maloney and I turned to see who had spoken. Kurt had already turned and was in threat assessment mode. The woman wore undress khakis with first mate flashes on the collar. She spoke with the deep, almost gravelly voice of a heavy whirler. She was built stolidly, low to the ground, not unattractive in a burly, fire-plug kind of way. Her scalp under the officer's cap was shaved and oiled, a style which did nothing to soften the angular features and square shoulders. Jeff Maloney spoke while I was still assessing. Ah, Ms. Thomas. Good. May I introduce Captain Ishmael Huang? He'll be taking Captain Delman's place as soon as we can get him logged onto the ship. Her gaze was frankly appraising as she gave me the once-over. I smiled and held up my hand. I look forward to working with you. A sly look crossed her face as she gripped my hand. She squeezed. I smiled. I didn't squeeze back. I just held while she tried to work her mind around the fact that nothing was happening. She abruptly let go and stepped back. Pulling out her tablet, she covered her imbalance by keying the lock and it popped open, rising slowly on its hinges. Kurt gave me a wink and a nod, and even Maloney looked impressed. We followed the first mate through the lock and onto the ship. She stopped with her fists balled onto ample hips and stared in head-shaking amazement at a rather slovenly able spacer actually laying across the top of the watchstander's small desk. It seemed impossible that anybody could find body balance on the short and narrow surface, but he gave every appearance of being asleep. We stood there looking at him, but it was Kurt who alerted me to the stool behind the desk. It was still spinning slowly on its swivel. Miss Thomas looked like she was about to let loose, but I forestalled her. Very cute, Spacer, and I'll give you credit for balancing on the table, but if you're done with your dead Spacer act, I really need to have access to that terminal under your butt. I spoke softly but clearly, and almost in his left ear. He bolted like he'd been stabbed, lost his balance, and fell onto the metal deck. I winced as he cracked an elbow on the way down. Thank you, Mr... He looked up at me from the deck, his eyes having to roll up almost to his forehead to see me where I stood near his head. Schubert, sir. Wendell. Nice to meet you, Mr. Schubert. You know how to make a first impression rightly enough. Perhaps while I'm here we can work on it being a good first impression instead of this one, eh? Miss Thomas inhaled and was about to unload, but I caught her eye and gave her a little shake of the head. She saw it. Her eyes narrowed. And she unloaded. She proceeded with a rather credible and sharply focused verbal flensing that included commentary on parentage, unlikely applications of bodily parts, and even imprecations of toxic levels of insectile infestation of certain body cavities. Even Kurt looked impressed. 
The only one who didn't look impressed was Mr. Schubert. When she was through, I turned to Jeff Maloney. Yes, this'll do nicely. I reached into my pocket, pulled out two paint chips, and handed them to him. Lighter color on the flat walls, darker on the curves. Any chance you could have that done before noon? I'll see what I can do, Mr. Huang. Thank you, sir. I'd appreciate it. And if we could get me signed in, I think I've got some work to do. By 0900, the deal was done. My tablet was locked to the ship net, and my codes and keys had been verified as captain of the Agamemnon. I showed Mr. Maloney and Kurt to the lock and stood with them outside. Well, your first moments as captain will be burned into your memory, I should think. Maloney was smiling. And the deck in there, if I'm any judge. I smiled back and held out my hand. Thanks. I was very leery about this before, but I have to say I'm looking forward to working with these people. Maloney looked at me sharply as if I were kidding. Really? After that little stunt? I looked over my shoulder. Yes, sir. Actually, because of that little stunt. If the rest of the crew is anything like the ones I've met so far, this should be a lot of fun. Fun? Maloney was chuckling in incredulity. You have a strange idea of fun. I shrugged. Yeah, that spacer has nerve, creativity, and a wicked sense of humor. Properly focused, he could be something really impressive. He? Maloney looked confused. Don't you mean she? Oh, Thomas? No, I mean Schubert. Thomas has other problems. I don't know if we can help her or not, but I have some ideas. Maloney was dumbfounded. You got all that from a derelict spacer and a steam whistle. I shrugged. I might be right. I might be wrong. The worst that can happen is that Agamemnon is the worst ship in the fleet. I paused for just a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. It already is the worst ship in the fleet. I shrugged again. Kurt turned to scan the locks for threats, and I could see his mouth twitching back a grin. Maloney shook his head and chuckled a little bit more. I've seen some cocky skippers in my day, Ishmael, but I've either made the best decision of my life or the worst. Is there anything else? Yeah. Why did you name it Agamemnon? Why not? He was a hero of the Trojan War, king of ancient Greece. Actually, Mycenae, or Argos, depending on what language you're reading it in, and he offended pretty much every god going. He stole another man's woman, got his men lost in transit, and in the end, when he finally made his way home, he was killed by his own wife and her boyfriend. Not what you'd call a stellar example to hold up. Maloney was staring at me, his head cocked just slightly. Oh, and one more thing. Yes, Mr. Wong? Paint. Please don't forget to paint. I've got a lot of work to do here, and the sooner I can get at it, the better we'll all like it. Kurt, would you call the office, get Jameson these chips, and see to it that the cabin is painted immediately? Of course, sir. Kurt took the chips and tapped the surface of a very discreet earpiece in his right ear. Thank you, Mr. Maloney. I think you're welcome, Ishmael. Safe voyage. Thank you, sir. I turned and walked into the ship, punching the lock closed as I passed through the far side. Thanks for listening to Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is the mason's apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. Mm-hmm.